You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back, everybody, to the Oz Network as we continue our Oscar eight-day stretch. Uh, We go through each of the Oscar Best Picture nominees for 2019. We're flowing through them quickly because we're up to day two. It's been so fast. This is where we're at the quarter mark already. We're here to take a look at a film which a lot of people are questioning should have been nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it won the Best Picture in the Golden Globes for drama, uh, and it's certainly got some debate around whether this film is good or not. Uh, I'm in the good camp. I'm not sure about my co-host, but we're going to find out. We're here to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie that I would probably say last year, alongside Jurassic World, was the most excited I was for a movie in 2018. I've already talked about it once. I'm here to talk about it again, and I'm excited. I'm just going to say that I'm excited. My name is Ben, and I had a cold last week, if anybody cares. And my name is Colin, and I'm in love with I'm in love with my car. <laughs> Stop talking about I'm in love with my car. Um, I'm excited, as I keep saying, but I, as I said last week, I'm also excited for you to be on an episode with me to talk about this because <laughs> we didn't do the review together. I did it with Mallory, and you went and saw it a few weeks later, and I kind of got a bit of a a gauge from your uh, reaction on social media. I think you mentioned to me we might do a second episode, but we never did. Um, but I think I kind of want to let you talk first of all about your thoughts about this film because I was glowing, absolutely glowing. Loved this movie so much. I rewatched it ahead of doing this one. Loved it so much again. Uh, the only thing I would say badly about this on a second viewing is it doesn't like it's it's a great film to watch on a in the movies like on the big screen, particularly the last twenty minutes. But yeah, just this maybe right now was my favourite movie of 2018. Um, and I just want to watch it again now. So that's how much I love this film. But Colin, you have some different thoughts, I feel. <laughs> well, here's the first thing I'll say. I don't think I could argue with anybody who says this would be their favourite movie. I'm just really hoping at the end of this you're not saying, I pick Bohemian Rhapsody as the best movie, uh, <laughs> the best picture <laughs> winner. Because... This movie is nothing more than like one of those VH1 behind the music's like like the Def Leppard story, the TLC story, and however many oh, other the ones. TLC those story did. didn't say that one. You have to lend it to uh, me. I'll, I'll, I'll watch the TLC story and then I'll tell you if it's better than Bohemian Rhapsody. No, is it but called like, No you know, Scrubs? They, they make... The TLC story, <laughs> Waterfalls. They the actually TLC did. Story. They did make one, so maybe we'll find it and we'll review okay, it. Okay, if we're doing that, uh, we're, well, gonna, we're doing the Happily Ever After Britney Spears one that I watched about a year ago, and there's also a Michael Jackson, a really bad Michael Jackson one from about 2005, which all I can remember is the actor playing Michael Jackson watching 9/11 on TV, going, "The world is ending. The world is ending. We can't." Can't live anymore. The world is ending. It was so bad. Anyway, sorry. I yes, Bohemian Rhapsody. All four <laughs> combining bad movie month with biopic month, and then just seeing if Bohemian Rhapsody belongs in one or the other. Uh, but like th- this, it's an enjoyable movie, but it, it is so shallow and just. Uh, my other complaint here, I'll, I'll start. I'm going to have lots of complaints. I'm going to reserve some of them for our recap when we do biopic month coming up. But. Uh, the Freddie Mercury character, it's it's poorly written, and I feel like, as far as Rami Malek's performance goes, he did a good impression of somebody, but he brought nothing to this character. Like, I just feel confused by the portrayal of this character in this movie because he seems like, in this movie, the biggest dick on the planet, and yet the movie is presenting him with such reverence that that's one of the things that most frustrates me about this movie is this movie – 
creatively is such a mess that they're showing you a terrible human being and then telling you and having all the other characters tell you how great he is. And not to mention the fact that like I know in your review you mentioned that it's just like the Wikipedia page or whatever, but 90% of the stuff dramatically that happens in this movie never happened. All the things that that push the story forward that that provide the drama in this movie are completely fabricated. So why has this been a movie that's been in development for over a decade where the band members, the filmmakers, the studio were so intent on making this movie as if it was going to be the most important biopic ever told when all I learned from comparing the Wikipedia page or, or the biographies out there or the history of the band with the events of this movie is that none of the interesting stuff was real. So – Clearly, Freddie Mercury did not have an interesting enough life to warrant a biopic. So why did they make this movie? And then why did they dramatize it with things that were so poorly dramatized? Colin really has been waiting a long time to do an episode on this film, I can tell. <laughs> I've been completely... I can't even tell you how many times I've been like, oh, don't talk to me about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Your reaction, Colin, it's very coarse. It's very rough. It's very irritating. And it's getting everywhere. <laughs> it gets everywhere. <laughs> it's going everywhere. <laughs> Um, tick, done. Um, <laughs> like, see, I saw, I think I yeah, I said in the, my review that, you know, I saw all the reviews basically saying that it was essentially just a glorified Wikipedia <laughs> entry post. Um, and then now I've noticed, I think on the Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, Wikipedia page that they've got a list of like, uh, events that didn't actually happen or kind of like, you know, they've got a section there, but like, I can understand why, huge fans of Queen and, and Freddie Mercury can have issues with that. I, I'm i a huge Queen fan, a huge fan of Freddie Mercury, perhaps not as big as some of the people who are complaining about the inaccuracies with it. But I, I guess kind of like my, my one comparison or just sort of looking at a defense of that is that, A, it's a movie and they need to take creative licensing with some things. Not everything can be historically accurate. Yes, okay, your argument is they changed a lot of things, fair enough, but... Let's look at a film that we reviewed last year, which is one of my favorite films of all time, Cool Runnings, where they they completely changed pretty much everything around uh, what happened with that Jamaican bobsled team. And yes, you might argue Jamaican bobsled team, not quite as well known as Freddie Mercury and Queen, but at the same time, like, that comes out of it as an enjoyable film, one that, you know, you and I both love. And yes, I know you've just said this is an enjoyable film still, but I just... I can walk out of this as a Queen fan still enjoying everything about it. I, d- I don't agree that they make Freddie Mercury look like an asshole. I sympathise with Freddie Mercury oh. in this film. Um, <laughs> I think the only... We'll save some of this for the other recap because i got some good arguments on that. The only thing I think that I said was my one sort of question about it, which maybe they could have gone a little bit darker with, it's just it is that exploration or sort of the betrayal of his homosexuality a little bit more, which you could have gone a little bit... And that's what I know a lot of people are sort of complaining about, saying that they're sort of just brushed over it a little bit, you know, like, oh, hey, look, he's gay, cool. Um, But I walk out of this film, I think, thoroughly enjoying it. I think that Rami Malek is just absolutely incredible. I, I think he's amazing in this role, and I think he just completely just captivates everything to do with the Freddie Mercury character. Um, So I will disagree so much on everything when you say it coming about that the one the one thing that i think i did say in the review too that you mentioned how this film has been in development for so long that i was very disappointed when sasha baron cohen dropped out of this film because i think he would have been a great freddie mercury and we would have had a very different film if sasha baron cohen had been freddie mercury but 
I yeah, I can't praise this film enough <laughs> but how much I think it's great in terms of and not just as a case of that I enjoyed it, it's a favorite film of mine. I think I think the performances are great in this film. I think it's edited well. I think the pacing, I think that I very find so little about this film to complain about and I personally think it does deserve to be nominated for a best picture <sighs> film. So <laughs> you're like sand you're coarse and you're rough and you're irritating you get everywhere <laughs> um okay two, go ahead two go things ahead. i just want to see really quickly uh one i don't care how much they change from the real story like i'm not in that camp where i'm like oh but they, they this never happened this never happened you have to do things to make it dramatic but in the example of cool runnings there still was something in the real story that deserved to be told in a movie there was dramatic event there was the 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 creation of this team that was an interesting story if you go through the things in this movie that actually did happen none of that needs to have a movie made out of it so why my question is why were they so intent on making this movie when nothing in the real story was that interesting and the second argument of rami malik that i want to respond to my problem with him is exactly what you did. Everything you just said in defense of him was about how he was Freddie Mercury. And if you're rewarding somebody as an actor, you can't. We talked about the advantage of uh, Black Panther. Oh, well, it's kind of like you know, uh, a praise for all of the Marvel movies. Well, and we joke like, you know, uh, the, you can't reward all the movies that should have been nominated about Ebbing, Missouri before. <laughs> but – this is like my biggest pet peeve, not just in Bohemian Rhapsody with everything. If you go back a little over 10 years, Kate Blanchett won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for The Aviator for doing an impression of Katherine Hepburn. The character itself, if that was a fictional character in a fictional movie, she never would have been nominated. It never would have gotten any attention. It was insignificant. And – I feel like all this praise that he's getting is just because people are so familiar with Freddie Mercury. It's like he did a, an incredible – portrayal of freddie mercury like he nailed everything about his character but if this was a fictional character and he was doing a performance and then a completely fictional this is a 90 percent fictional movie but my point being uh if this character was just created on the page by a writer and never existed before i don't believe he gets half as much credit he certainly doesn't get nominated because he didn't do anything to make me understand this character, to make me feel like this character was unique in any way, to like this character or dislike this character. And where I feel like he failed is because everything that he succeeds on is just being an incredible impersonator of Freddie Mercury. But he didn't bring anything to this movie other than incredible impression. And I don't feel like somebody should be rewarded because they nailed a character that everybody's familiar with any more than... I don't know, Viggo Mortensen, you know, or, or Mahershala Ali or whatever in Green Book portraying characters that never existed before. For me, I, I'm much more impressed by somebody who can actually make a character pop and stand out when you have no knowledge of who this character is going into a movie. I could care less about how you know, great his mannerisms are in this movie. If anything, that makes his performance less impressive because all he had to do was imitate. He didn't create anything but, on his own. But couldn't you then, like, I know you brought up Kate Blanchett, but then look at other past winners. Gary Oldman last year, you know, you go back to Helen Mirren as the queen. Good. Like, yeah, I mean, could you not just put that out for every single person who's ever won an Oscar? Because I think, it, like, I see what you're saying. But, but, but the difference, this, this is where my argument is, though. Those people 
brought something to a character outside of that where you could, you have to be able to look at it yourself and say, if I didn't know who Winston Churchill was, would I be blown away by this? And if I were to show this movie to Jamie, Jamie probably doesn't know anything about – well, she she knows who Winston Churchill is but probably has never heard him, seen him or anything like that. If I show her The Darkest Hour, she's like Gary Oldman was incredible in that movie because he brought this character to life and he he made you understand who the character was. And this movie is so confusing because it is constantly portraying Freddie Mercury like a terrible person and this will be another topic we'll get into. But he – Rami Malek doesn't – make you buy into one side or the other is he a terrible person is he a good person it's just part of that is the writing of this movie but at the same time people have been nominated for oscars stanley tucci got nominated for best supporting actor for a movie that peter jackson made i can't remember what the movie was called but it was about a serial killer the movie was trashed by critics critics said everything about it but they said stanley tucci's performance deserves an oscar nomination in this razzy worthy movie and I don't feel like Rami Malek's performance, if you didn't know who Freddie Mercury is, deserves to be nominated in what's otherwise a very average movie. See, again, I see what you're saying. I I, I disagree, though, because I feel like... I feel the Freddie Mercury story is one that needed to be told, because... <laughs> what part of it that's not fictionalized well, in this movie? I feel you've got to look at kind of just where he came from to what he became, you know, from kind of the background. From three like, minutes in the beginning of the movie. They don't even explore that in the movie. But I, I feel as though there are still elements that he's is, is explored as best as they can with what they've got. And I, I feel as though what Rami Malek does is, at least from my perspective, and it's going back to when I sort of, I sympathise with this character because he sort of, he's always got this dream that he wants to be a showman. And I think kind of the, the the age that he starts in, sort of in the 70s, kind of in expressing himself. And you see it in that very first scene when he's performing on stage with Smile, that kind of they're like, like what is this guy doing? Like, Because you kind of really hadn't had a showman as such the way he was, you know, like David Bowie perhaps at that time. But that that's kind of what brought... Freddie Mercury and Queen out there was so much was just his showmanship, this, the fact that he could own the stage. And I think kind of you see that throughout the development of where they start as a band to where they end up at the Live Aid performance. And I think through, you know, the conflict that he's having with the band mixed with kind of his personal life and sort of throughout, you know, him himself trying to discover who he is. I mean, the, the scenes he kind of has... Um, you know, with the Mary character and sort of developing who he is, and the, the the moments there where kind of he's coming to terms with his sexuality and things, which, yes, I agree, they could have definitely explored that further. Again, the one criticism I maybe have in the film, but I think it's still done on a level where, you know, I'm, I'm sympathising with the Freddie Mercury character because, yes, he is, in many parts of this film, he is an absolute dick. I'm not going to disagree with that, but I think at the same time, through sort of himself and, you know, the relationship with the Paul character and everything along those lines that you kind of get this level of manipulation that maybe necessarily Freddie's trying to find himself through it out the film and then it kind of concludes with this epic performance at the end. So I, I for one, am absolutely, you know, involved and entrenched in Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury and I will defend him as brilliant in this film. And I, I think it's up there with, like, when you're saying, like, how you watched Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill and takes it to another level, like, I, I agree with that. But I, I definitely think Rami Malek does that with Freddie Mercury. That's where I would disagree with you. I think he does. But you can't argue the fact the material does not present this character in a way where the character has any proper portrayal. And part of that is the fact that I understand he's dead and that these band members did love him. 
the people who made this movie have too much reverence for him. And this is a Brian Singer flaw. And the, well, the biggest complaint that people had about Superman Returns was that Brian Singer had too much reverence for the original Superman movie. That it almost came across like a tribute to the original Superman movie and not a Superman movie. I don't 100% agree with that, but I do get that he cared more about paying tribute to that movie he loved than he did about making the best Superman movie. And it's the same way here, whether it was Brian Singer had too much reverence for Freddie Mercury, the band members who are the ones that spearheaded making this movie all this time, everybody involved. Great examples being the conflict with the band, as you said, which of course never happened, uh, where they're like, he's been terrible to us. He's, he's you know ruined our careers. Okay, let's make him stand out in the hallway for five minutes, but he's suffered enough. He's he's a good guy. And then the thing with his wife is the most frustrating because I don't feel like this movie doesn't explore his sexuality at all. I feel like it doesn't explore it from anybody's point of view with his own. And that's why I feel like the character ends up coming across as so self-centered and like a complete dick because nobody is developed in this movie outside of Freddie Mercury. I tried to ask Jamie the other band members' names when this movie ended, and she and she's still to this day. She's like, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. She couldn't name any other band members' names by the time the movie finished five minutes later. And the portrayal of the wife is the most frustrating because I understand that it is real that even after they separated, you know, she was still close with him after that. She never held a grudge. But I guarantee when he came out to her, which he's not even coming out, by the way. There's my other complaint. Uh, she did not go like, I can't even be mad at you. Like that was so frustrating. Here, I can't even be mad at you because it's not your fault. If he came to her and said, you know what? I've been living a lie. I'm not attracted to women. I'm attracted to men and I'm gay and I've slept with other men because I've been lying about who I am. Then she could make the argument. Oh, I can't even hold it against you. Cause it's not your fault. He comes to her and says, I'm bisexual. I've been sleeping with other men. He doesn't say he's not attracted to her. He's not saying he doesn't want to be married to her. He's not saying he's not attracted to women. He's actually just coming to her and saying, I have been sleeping around behind your back. That's a, there's a big difference between a person saying, I've been living a lie, I'm gay, and I'm bisexual. I've been sleeping with men and women. I You're think... still married to her. Like, it's so frustrating that, that she wouldn't even be given a moment where her character could say, you know what? Like, I don't know how to process this. Get out of my face for five minutes. I think that's from... drama. That character gets no development. <laughs> but I think, in all fairness, I don't ever think Freddie Mercury openly ever said he was gay. I think it was the day and age. He said he was bisexual. Well, <laughs> but I mean, I, again, I see what you're saying with that scene, but I, again, have to, I, I really appreciate that scene. And I think kind of when she's saying, um, you know, it's I can't hate you because it's not your fault. Because, like, she at that point says, like, no, you're not bisexual, you're gay. And because I think it's one of those things I feel where, um, you know, I've had I've had friends growing up with who, you know, have, have come out to me and said they're gay. And, you know, without being disrespectful, it, it came to a point where they told me and it was it's not a shock. You're kind of like, okay, yep, that's fine. Like, I don't care. That's sort of new, but cool, great. I'm glad you felt comfortable enough to tell me. Doesn't change anything. Let's go on being friends. And I feel like this is one of those moments where, you know, she is aware <laughs> that who he is, and that's why she's like, hey, you're not bisexual, you're gay, and I can't hate you because it's not your fault. I think that's, I think that's a very sweet line because, but like... But there's no, but there's no drama in a movie if no character holds him accountable. Why are you going to present a what character to be held in a accountable movie for? Because he's gay. 
for everything he does. No, no, for anything he still did cheat on his wife. Like, yeah, I'm not I don't defending care that. Are, she, <laughs> she would have a moment. I don't care if you do accept. You know what? You've been living a lie. Whatever. She would still have a moment. Where she's like, I can't believe that I'm going through this. Like she's still losing her husband. And I'm not even saying just that scene. I'm saying that is a perfect example of a scene about how the immediate reaction every character has is it's okay. The band members are treated like crap by Freddie Mercury. You know, he basically ends their career, which again, never happened. But let's just say this as, as a fictional movie pretending this is why I'm trying to explore this movie as if none of this really happened, if you didn't have a benchmark of this was the real story. This is who Freddie Mercury really was. Would you be impressed with the performance? Would you be impressed with the movie? And when these band members have had their careers ended and he's destroyed their career and he's done all this and he's put them all in jeopardy and then he comes to them and we, we need to do this performance, They all they say is we need to discuss this for a minute. And then he goes out in the hall. It's like, well, I think we should do this. Why aren't these characters – if you're going to portray the character that he was destructive and that he did things to hurt other people, you need to have other characters in the movie say, Freddy, you've been destructive. You've hurt other people. But because everybody making this movie is holding Freddy Mercury in such high regard, they're afraid to do that. And they're partly afraid to do it because he never did any of these terrible things. I think- so A, why are you portraying him as a bad person? And B, why are none of the characters calling him out on it? I think in that aspect – I feel as though a lot of the reason why they're a lot more forgiving and everything with it is because they know a lot of it is manipulation through Paul. And I think that's what's portrayed. And I think that... But that's not drama in a movie. This is a dramatic movie. <laughs> I get it. They've stripped the drama by portraying it that way. But, I mean, Black Panther and by the way, isn't exactly completely dramatic either. Uh, I mean, a movie about a woman having sex as a fish last year wasn't exactly dramatic in parts either. Like, it's kind of... How it's drama of the characters. It's I I I still find there's drama in the characters. I I we're gonna have a fun time recapping this film fully in a couple of months. Who I will has say that. developed in this movie besides Freddie Mercury? The cats. They go from living in an apartment <laughs> to having their own bedrooms in a mansion. You, you go through all the other movies we're gonna be covering you know, when we get up to biopic with you. You go through movies that we're not covering in biopic month. You look at Man on the Moon. Man on the Moon is a perfect example of this because I understand if you're making a biopic, it's about that person. The movie Ray, Ray has like 16 wives. The movie Ali, Ali has 16 wives throughout the movie. All those wives have a moment where they're like holding him accountable for something. They're given development. You look at Man on the Moon. It is 100% about Andy Kaufman. The movie should not be about the other characters, but the other characters have moments with, as Casper's spitting on the door outside, if anybody hears that. <laughs> Why not? All characters in Man on the Moon or any of these other biopics will be able to say to the character, listen, you've done something wrong. And when we go through biopic month, we're going to see how every other dramatic movie about a real person has handled this better than Bohemian Rhapsody. That's why I put this on the level as an enjoyable VH1 movie like the TLC story or the Michael Jackson story or any of those others, but it does not hold up to something like Walk the Line or Man on the Moon or Ray. So, so <laughs> I'm just doing a backtrack about Man on the Moon. Uh, uh, not Man on the Moon, sorry, First Man. I'm getting them confused because maybe I should have called Man yeah. on the, First Man Man on the Moon because he did go on the moon. But um, I don't know where I was going with that because I'm still trying to work out what happened in First Man. Like <laughs> First Man. I'm glad you brought that up. 
in First Man, it is one, we, we had this similar complaint that it was like Neil Armstrong was the only character in that movie that had development. But I walked out of that movie at least knowing that his wife had a character and had a presence in the movie. And you don't have that in this movie. And the reason you need it is because they have portrayed him as a guy, whether it was real or fictional or not. Looking at this as the story in the movie, you've portrayed this movie, this story, as being about a guy who almost destroyed the most successful band in the world and then somehow got it back. Then you need some character to tell that story, and it can't just be from his point of view. There's a. I think I might have mentioned this on the the review with Mallory, um, but they did a a TV mini series here in Australia uh, on In Excess and Michael Hutchins, mm. um, which was fantastic. Um, and kind of, you know, many similarities on certain levels about kind of a flamboyantly, you know, over the top front man who sort of had his own issues to deal with and. Obviously, a very, you know, a, a similar sad ending for Michael Hutchins. Um, but you know, that was a great, that was a great miniseries, and it's been a while since I've watched that. But I mean, that'd be something that'd be intrigued for you to watch. You'd probably just come out of it comparing it to this as well. Like, hey, and that was a TV miniseries, not a film. But um, <laughs> I think kind of we, we're going to go a lot over this. I think when we do the recap, I think from outside of the acting and the perspective, can I just point out to um, Joe Mazzello? Uh, <laughs> who has been in hiding for about 20 years, since the River Wild, I feel. He's just cryogenically frozen himself. Does, does he not constantly just have this weird smirk on his face this entire film? Like, to me, he's just, he's kind of, it's more he just can't keep smiling because he's like, oh my God, I'm in another blockbuster again. They remember who I am. Um, and he actually I'm does gonna, a British accent. So good on you, Joe Mazzella. I'm going to answer your question in a way of twisting around to also make my point of making this whole episode. Uh, I knew he was in this movie going in. Uh, I had heard your review, plus I, I knew he was in this. You know, we talked about that even, I think, with the Jurassic Park recap we did. Uh, as I also knew Mike Myers was going to be in this movie. Hmm. It wasn't until the last scene where the band gets back together again where I realized that was Joseph Mazzello. <laughs> and I knew who he was going into this movie. I knew he was going to be in it. Mike Myers, it wasn't until the car ride home where I'm like, Wait, Mike Myers was in this movie. Who did he play? Oh yeah, the 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 you know executive or whatever. That to go along with my point, how no character is given development. They're not even given enough time where you learn who they are. I knew who these actors were going in, and I could not spot them until three quarters of the way through the movie. See, I knew, like, I knew straight away who they both were because I think the Mike Myers one, I knew already who he was being. And also, I think, I mean, I can tell Joe Mazzello easily. Come on, I've seen Jurassic Park enough times. I know what they look like even growing up. The only, the only one that <laughs> I didn't know who it was, and I think that's because it wasn't really announced until afterwards, was who Adam Lambert was. The fact that, you know, he was the truck stop guy going into the, the bathroom. Um, yeah, I caught that after I got home. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, you got to, like... The Mike Myers, like, there's something about Mike Myers who, you know, we, we're a bit critical. Uh, well, we were, you'll hear us being a bit critical when it comes to The Cat in the Hat coming soon on Bad Movie Month. Realize that movie, that one hasn't been released yet. But, um, <laughs> you know, obviously he's known for this over the top guy, actor who plays multiple characters and does, you know, outlandish comedy. But, like, I remember him in Inglorious Bastards, kind of what that one scene that he's in. And then, kind of, he, like, I think Mike Myers has a career being that subtle sort of, small character with a bit of a dramatic tone. Like, I don't know if Mike Myers could hold a dramatic film by himself. Probably not. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Like, I kind of appreciate Mike Myers in these small sort of roles like this. I don't know how you feel. That's Did you ever see 54? Oh, years ago. He was the club owner in that, wasn't he? Yeah. And yeah. he was pretty good in that, too. 
Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Like, maybe he's like an Adam Sandler. Like, he, he knows he can act well and dramatically, but he doesn't give a shit. Um, but I guess the look of this film, though, like, let's, let's, let's save our, you know, conversation around everything here to when we do the recap. But the, this film editing, the way it's kind of put across there, you know, it's, it's the Wikipedia entry, the VH1, it's very flashy, it's very out there, but, I think kind of coming into this as a Queen fan, I mean, I've listened to this soundtrack to death since I've watched this film. Um, and just moving it in right through to the final sequence, which of course is just 20 minute pure recreation of the epic live aid performance, which I think somebody's already put out there on YouTube, sort of a side by side comparison. And you see how thoroughly mm-hmm. they've com- converted this and kind of gone across to recreate what it was. But I feel that this is definitely a film that is deservingly seen on a big screen. I don't know if you watched yeah. it after you saw it on the big screen, but, like, that's the one thing watching it on a small screen that I maybe didn't get the first time. Like, the, the final 20 minutes uh, when I saw it on the big screen, I was tearing up. Like, that was just epic, like, how good that is on a big screen. But the look and the feel of this film is absolutely fantastic. You've got to give it that. Yeah, uh, well, I wouldn't say the whole movie. I, I think the live performances, and this is where I feel like it's an unfair advantage to judge a movie because they nailed something that actually happened in real life. Um, but in terms of the music and everything, the way they present it, like even the, the first performance they have, which I think they do keep yourself alive. I mean, mm-hmm. I was just excited that they included a, a, what would be, I guess, considered a more obscure song, like keep yourself alive in the movie where I'm like, Oh, that's so awesome. It, it, it is great to watch the performances. Um, the thing that I really do love about this movie, which if I rewatch this movie, if it's on TV or something, I probably will skip everything up until the live aid performance. But they nail like Brian Singer, who I don't know if we'll talk about. I guess he's part of the controversy with this being a Best Picture nominee. Um, he nailed that live aid performance so much, and it's not in. I'm not going to go along with my complaint about you know shot for shot comparison. If you don't know about the live aid performance, it is so powerful to watch that the way that. He'll present the crowd. Um, I feel like that's where this movie succeeds dramatically. The buildup of when they're backstage, the fact that you don't see anything until they step out on stage, all of that works so well in this movie. And even the song they cut, because they cut We Will Rock You, didn't they? Yeah, they, I think they cut two songs. They, they cut We Will Rock You and... Um... I don't. I think there was another one they did, but I think that's purely because you hear it earlier in the movie, and they didn't want to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. I I feel like the "We Will Rock You" sequence we got in the movie was probably the lowest of lows as far as like cheap <laughs> entertainment goes. Let's just have them stomping and clapping, and the, hey, that's how the song was created. I would have much rather have seen that with the big performance because we got that in the trailer too. The the you know boom boom tsh, as the whole crowd's doing it. Um, but what we did get, even, even with them cutting the songs, like I felt like even the length was perfect. Would have been great to have a whole 18, 19 minutes of it, or uh, I don't know how long the original performance was without the two songs cut. It would have been great, but I feel like cutting those songs paced this so perfectly that it felt like the proper climax of it. This felt like watching a Rocky movie to me where you have this dramatic buildup and everything and you, you see no boxing, no fighting at all. And then the last 15 minutes, they'll give you this big box match, and that just it makes you want to jump out of your chair. They, so that oh, was sorry. done so well. What? I thought you'd finish, and I jumped in there, and never mind. That was an awkward <laughs> moment. Um, 
is why we well, should I'll host the Oscars, now, everyone, because we would interact with each other. And like, I, I just want to add one, one more thing that in in no way have I ever been a fan of Radio Gaga. And I know I've seen oh, this live performance before because my no hold on I, my mom has watched this live performance, so I'm sure I've seen the whole thing before. But I knew the song Radio Gaga, but I would always say like, oh, that's sort of like you know one of their their lame '80s songs or whatever. Seeing it in this movie instantly made me go that that's one of the greatest songs I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> the very next day, I went out running, and the first thing I did was I added Radio Gaga to the playlist. <laughs> it was the first song I listened to. So now, all of a sudden, I'm like this massive fan of Radio Gaga because the way they presented in this movie, which I think that's probably the strongest moment from that Live Aid performance. If you do watch these, either the movie or the Live Aid performance, it's the Radio Gaga performance of all, of all things. They they cut out uh, We Will Rock You and Crazy Little Thing Called Love. They also didn't have that mm. in it. Um, I, like, as a Queen fan, um, I prefer their second greatest hits over their first greatest hits because it's got a lot more of those obscure 80s ones that you're talking about. So, like, I was hugely familiar with Radio Gaga because, I mean, that's on the second greatest hits. And I know Mallory kind of walked out of that going, like, oh, I hadn't heard of some of those songs. Like, she'd never heard of Hammer to the Fall, you know, and things like that. Mm. And, you know, just, like, I've listened to that so many more times than the greatest hit, the first greatest hits that I know them so well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... This film has come out of it, not just Best Picture, it's been nominated for five Oscars outside of Best Picture and uh, Best Actor. It also got nominated for Best Sound Editing, Sound Mixing and the uh, Best Editing as well, which I think it deserves. Like I love kind of those montage pieces they do sort of when they're touring and you kind of got those flashy graphics and like when you sort of get Bohemian Rhapsody put on the radio and you kind of have that section where it's all about the reviews and because, I mean, that's one of the few true things in this movie um, is that, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody not regarded as an instant classic um which i think kind of is amazing i'm in love with my car instant classic (laughs) (laughs) but i I mean it's just i thoroughly recommend everybody out there watch the side by side and i think i said in the original review to watch the original performance because again that was something that i was familiar with growing up because i think maybe outside you know uh, i'm a little bit uh, what live aid was two years before i was even born so Kind of, it's not something I ever went out of my way to to revisit. But I think I, I remember they did like Live Eight. I think like on the twentieth anniversary of it, like two thousand and five. So there was a lot of kind of revisiting and going over the history of it and watching that performance. Because again, Live Eight I think was best known for the Queen performance. Um, but just just stunningly put together. Um, Brian Singer, yeah, do, I don't know. Do we want to talk about him? I mean, like. Conveniently, I mean, the day really, after but... the day after it got nominated for Best Picture, conveniently, more allegations came out. I'm not trying to say that's, you know, a good thing. There shouldn't be allegations. Well, it wouldn't be a good thing. But, you know, the timing of it was quite convenient, I feel. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not exactly coming out of the nomination as a, oh, yes, it deserves to be. Because it, it was controversial that it won Best Drama at the Golden Globes. And then... Yeah. You know, you had said to me, I think, in the lead up to us doing these films, like, oh, you know, we won't have to do Bohemian Rhapsody again. That won't get nominated. Uh, and a lot of people yeah. obviously were saying, like, oh, no, it won't get nominated. But I think it's it's not unheard of, is it, for the best drama at the Golden Globes to not win? I think I've read an article that out of the last 10 years, only six or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year we didn't have the best drama winner at the Golden Globes win the Oscar. You know, three three billboards won the Globe and then the fish sex movie won the, the Oscar. So... <laughs> Um, and it kind of, I think, at least at the time of recording this, it hasn't exactly backed up its Golden Globe win, has it? Like, it seems to be going to yeah. the other films. So, I mean, I guess my point here of this is, are you seeing this with any shot at winning Best Picture? Because right now I'm looking at the no. odds, and at least according to Gold Derby, this is the least favourite to win Best Picture. Uh, 
look, the the smartest thing the Oscars ever did was immediately backpedal on the Oscars so white thing. <laughs> um, when that Oscars so white thing came out, the very next year you had more minority nominees ever, and then they gave Moonlight Best Picture, which I've got. You know, I, I don't feel like Moonlight's a bad movie. I think there was a worse movie that year. It was called La La Land, uh, <laughs> which <laughs> may have won Best Picture. We don't know. <laughs> um, but they immediately correct themselves. And last year being the whole Me Too, Time's Up thing, there is no – that's why I was so shocked that this even got a Best Picture nominee. And you could only say that there's not as much it, – it, it didn't seem like until it won the Golden Globes or as many people – aware of the brian singer allegations than anything else because the kevin spacey one was exploded and, you know, there's so many other people who have had allegations against them uh some of which nothing really ever came of like the morgan freeman one or whatever else uh but when this was nominated for best picture of the golden globes nobody said anything about it and then it won golden globes and that was sort of the reminder of me i'm like oh yeah a couple months ago there were some allegations against brian singer i didn't even realize it i can only assume that it wasn't in the public's eye as much, but when this won Golden Globes for Best Picture, like there was such an uproar that there's no way now knowing that the the votes for the Best Picture will happen afterwards, whereas the nominee votes probably already happened. There's no way that the Oscars that backpedal so quickly on Oscar So White are going to one year after Time's Up um, <laughs> uh, do Bohemian Rhapsody Best Picture. I will say it's kind of sad, though, because that being the focus of why Bohemian Rhapsody shouldn't win and not the fact that it's actually kind of a bad movie, <laughs> uh, which you're seeing that argument as well. A lot of people saying, like, this does not belong in the Best Picture category. Even if you just look at Rotten Tomatoes, like, this is a 62%, which has to be one of the lowest rated movies to get a Best Picture nomination in a long time. Yeah, I mean, interesting to go over that, wouldn't it? Because um, probably would be the case. Um, yeah, I, I remember when it won the Globe, um, It there was one article in particular from a shitty Australian website, which I've completely given up on because it's terrible, who kind of did this, you know, clickbait article about, you know, how oh, this doesn't deserve to win the Oscar and all this sort of stuff. But then uh, the Golden Globe and then kind of like the next day, a more respectable uh, Australian news website kind of did a sort of a like opinion like you know people shouldn't jump down the throat of bohemian rhapsody here's why and kind of it, it made some very solid points but obviously yeah the brian singer situation i think is gonna really be a negative for it um and look yeah i'm, I'm here championing this film saying i loved it saying i you know it deserved to get nominated i i can't really like i haven't seen the other six yet i've, I've only seen a star is born um and you know, if I take my personal opinion aside, I would say Star is Born is a much more deserving and complete film of winning Best Picture than Bohemian Rhapsody. And that's just taking personal bias out of it. Um, and I I can't wait to talk about that episode because I'm, I'm thoroughly sad. That's a weird sentence to say. Uh, that Bradley Cooper was snubbed for Best Director. I'm just saying that right now because I think kind of the praise that Lady Gaga is getting for that film deserved but I feel that Bradley Cooper is losing a lot of praise, particularly from the directing side of things, because look where he started and where he's gone from now. Anyway, the point is, um, uh, uh, right now, if we're going to rank t- the two films we've done, I'm putting this <laughs> above Black Panther, but I'm looking forward to seeing the other films, the other five that I'm yet to see, because you know, I, I really doubt I'm going to come out of eight episodes and say that <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody is the one that I'm going to pick to win outside of my own personal bias. 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't believe this thing deserves to be in the Best Picture. I didn't think Black Panther should have gotten a Best Picture nominee, too. But, I mean, I think that's light years ahead of this. Uh, it is funny we've gone longer on these first two because the, these seem more topical, more for the political reasons of why were they or why shouldn't they have been nominated than anything of the content of the movies themselves. <clears throat> going forward after this, it's going to be weird to to actually review movies because we haven't really <laughs> talked much about the content of these movies that much. But uh, I don't know. You're obviously, I'm guessing, not changing your oh, rating God, of this. Bye. Absolute bye. 100%. Yeah. Uh, on you, a second I haven't got a rating does, for you on my list here, Colin. What are you doing with it? <laughs> uh, on a second viewing, does it go up or does it go down? Uh, look, it's Just still... I, honestly, it's still on par. Like, I walked uh, from watching this movie straight away. I'm like, I want to see that again. Like, I loved it. Um, and I don't think that's ever really going to change. As I said, the only thing I think that kind of diminishes is the fact that it's not on a big screen. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I still... I still would say it's on par with when I saw it the first time. Um, and again, like I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more in our preview because I think we kind of did that last year where we sort of talked about some of our other favourite movies that, you know, obviously aren't even Oscar nominees. But um, I would probably still say on the record right now that this was my favourite movie of 2018. So, uh, yeah. And this is going to be a, a big gap between us because even though I found this movie enjoyable... As I said, putting aside my complaints about how they portrayed Freddie Mercury's character, uh, this being no more than like a VH1 special, like I, I can still watch those VH1s. I'm sure when I watch the TLC story, I'm gonna <laughs> enjoy it. But uh, it, it, it's just what it ultimately comes down to for me is that I, I walked out of this movie thinking it might be a low rent. But as you're going through it here, I'm like. I love the Live Aid stuff, but if I never had to watch any of the other stuff prior to that, I'd be okay with that. So I would probably consider this more like a high bin than anything else because wow. I, I don't feel like I ever feel the need to watch this again. Even the live performances, sure, the whole band did a great job on, on these live performances, you know, uh, imitating the real band. But do I want to watch impersonators lip syncing or do I want to watch the real thing? And I think the only thing this movie really does that that drives me to really want to watch it again is this presentation of the Live Aid performance being so dramatic. But I don't feel like you need to see anything else in this movie to really enjoy that. Just scrolling through here, some of our past reviews, uh, the fact that, it, you know, yeah, okay, I can't talk. I'm, I can't talk at all when it comes to shit reviews. But, like, the mummy, the Tom Cruise mummy was a rent-it from Colin. <laughs> You've been That's a good movie. <laughs> Wow. But you I mean, know what? <laughs> what's, the, what's the Rotten Tomatoes on The Mummy? Oh, I don't know. Let's have a look. Um, I'm going to say it's a lot less than 60, uh, whatever Bohemian Rhapsody has. Um, and, and I think there is a difference, 15%, though, too. Because 15%, Colin. <laughs> but there's a difference. That's a movie that's just meant to be mindless monster movie. Whereas this is trying to be... It is an Oscar bait movie. And that's why I feel like it's even more of a failure because... They're trying to make this this incredible dramatic movie, and there's nothing dramatic about it, and there's nothing incredible about it. I'm just looking here quickly. Sadly, it's not called uh, No Scrubs, the TLC story. It's called Crazy <laughs> Sexy Cool, the TLC story from 2013. I will watch it and bring you my review by probably not the next Oscar one we do, but <laughs> by the end of this, I will tell you if I enjoyed Crazy Sexy Cool, the TLC story, more than Bohemian Rhapsody. 
got to say, it is uh, the apparently the highest rated original film premiere in VH1 history. There you go. <laughs> Um, TLC actually came to Hobart, I think, just as I was leaving Hobart about 12 months ago, and uh, I was tempted to see them, but that was about was $150 for a ticket. I'm like, fucking hell. Like, you haven't been relevant I was in 20 big, years. No, I was a big TLC fan growing up. They're, that, that, that's that's going to be a great... If you had the chance, you should have gone. Shame on you. No scrubs. Don't go chasing waterfalls. <laughs> I never got that song. I'm like, what? I used to think it was Jason Waterfalls. I'm like, who's Jason Waterfall? <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um anyway yes so Bohemian Rhapsody okay well next movie I, I I am looking forward to next movie because yes out of all the ones I think th- that were nominated that I hadn't seen it was between this and Black Klansman were the, the two that I was really looking forward to to seeing we're going to do Vice next um and I think I remember when the trailer came out for this because Mallory, you know, one of her, you know, the five cheat list, you know, the celebrities that you're allowed to have sex with and get away with it basically would be Christian Bale. So she absolutely love Christian Bale. And he might be on my list. I think he's on everyone's list. <laughs> <laughs> but so I showed her the trailer for this and I said, like, you need to tell me who you think the, the old guy is in this trailer. It's like, okay, okay. It wasn't until they have right at the end when it says, like, Christian Bale is Dick Chain. She was like, what? Like, I think, I think with Winston Churchill, you can kind of see Gary Oldman in there. Like, you cannot yeah. see anything that this is Christian Bale. And one movie that, you know, similar, we'll be doing Bohemian Rhapsody in our biopic month. We're also going to be doing uh, a mo- one of my favourite movies, W, which was a sort of a, a movie on George W. Bush, which released not long after he uh, stopped being president. And I think it was kind of one of these films that they hoped would get a bit of Oscar bars. It didn't really, and I think it's one of these ones I think thoroughly deserved because I think Josh Brolin, as George W. Bush, is incredible. Um, and I believe Richard Dreyfus was Dick Cheney in that movie. Um, and that was a movie known for very accurate portrayals of, uh, like, Tanny Newton's Condoleezza Rice, um, you know, and kind of very well um, portrayed. So this is one I'm looking forward to just because I really love that W movie. I'm looking forward to seeing Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush because he obviously got nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, but this, I believe, is the the favourite for the best actor. I think Christian Bale is coming into this as favourite. So I like a good political biopic movie. Um, it's it's a weird thing that I'm I don't mind a bit of politics. Like I like a lot of these biopic movies, even the TV ones. Like what was it? Um, the Sarah Palin one with Julianne Moore was brilliant. Um, there was the uh, the special relationship I remember with uh, the Bill Clinton Tony Blair one, where the woman who played Hillary Clinton, I swear, was Hillary Clinton. Like I like these style of movies, so I'm actually really looking forward to watching this film because I don't even think it's been released in this side of the world. So not a lot of talk this side of the world, but uh, yeah, Vice. Uh, this is the one I'm most excited about seeing too, and the only reason I haven't seen this uh, because I think it came out on Christmas here. And uh, just with holidays being off on Christmas and New Year's, I, I usually go to some movies. And I live two blocks from a movie theater, so why not? Uh, the only reason I did not see this, I had a plan to see this on New Year's Day, I think it was. Uh, but we were like minus 35 Celsius <laughs> in Winnipeg oh, that suck day. suck it up, you Canadian. Come on. <laughs> Even walking two blocks, I uh, I might have walked two blocks there. But by the time the movie let out, it would have been after midnight. And it would have been down to minus 38 or 39 i'm like uh you know i'll just wait uh that's the only reason i haven't seen this movie yet and uh, christian bale is uh like 
my Mount Rushmore of actors. You know, <laughs> it's it's guys like Gary Oldman, Christian Bale, uh, Liam Neeson would be up there. Where no matter what they're in, I will watch it. And I'm pretty sure if we went through fil- Christian Bale's filmography, I have seen everything he's ever been in. Like everything he's ever been in even the ones long before he was famous because ever since i saw american psycho i went back and watched everything christian bale's ever made uh i think this one's going to be another interesting one because if you look at the director of this movie i don't think you would ever expect to hear the academy award uh, nominated movie for best picture from the director of anchorman <laughs> Step Brothers, and talladega nights <laughs> oh well they're um, all three underrated films that should have been nominated colin hilding well but I guess in fairness to that, I mean, those are considered like Oscar worthy movies as far as dumb comedies go. Um, but Adam McKay made a movie a couple of years ago that also got nominated for Best Picture called The Big Short, which was kind of a financial stock market movie that also had Christian Bale in it. And I thought The Big Short was an amazing movie. Uh, so I'm, I'm just kind of excited to see if this guy who came out being maybe the best comedic director out there with movies like The Other Guys and Step Brothers and uh, Anchorman – could transition in more than just a one-time fluke to be like the next great, you know, dramatic movie director. Uh, and I also do love biopics, and I think that this one is not going to be so much the entire life story. And I tend to get bored with those ones, but I like ones that are more focused on like a short period of time. Uh, so yeah, this is the one I'm most excited to see. Uh, it's probably also one of the other ones that has the least, even if Christian Bale's chance are great, it, it has the least chance to win Best Picture. So I think we're kind of, we're building our way up to the front runners as we do this. And I think the thing which I found funny on social media when he won the Golden Globe and there was all that, you know, people are going crazy for Christian Bale's accent. That was my reaction back in 2010 because I did not realize when he won the Oscar for the fighter that he was Welsh. <laughs> like, I had no idea. And then he gets up on stage, he's like, oh, hello, I'm so glad he won the Oscar. And I'm like, <laughs> from India. <laughs> Yes, he's Indian Welsh. Um, <laughs> spent a lot of time in India, then moved back to Wales, you know, just a common thing that all the Welsh people did. Um, so, if anything, look forward to, if he wins the Oscar, seeing him speak again. And doesn't that sound nice? Two-time Oscar winner Christian Bale. So, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, that's Vice next week. Oh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, but if you're a fan of Bohemian Rhapsody, you will hear us talk about this again in a couple of months' time when we do biopic month. So it's not the last time we'll talk about this in 2019. But in the meantime, uh, like us on Facebook, subscribe, all the relevant channels. Uh, again, Academy is still open for hosting the Oscars where, where we haven't done anything against people that will come up. Well, at least Colin hasn't. I don't know about me, but, uh, you know, who knows? Um, but in the meantime, thank you for listening, and we will be back tomorrow. My name is Ben, and I pity your wife, Colin, if she thinks six minutes is forever. <laughs> First quote that came into my head. Uh, well, six minutes, that's that's a stretch there. Um, I know, <laughs> My name is Colin, and don't go, Jason Waterfalls. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net. 